0: Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at about 11 p.m. on a Tuesday night, which is a couple days later than I would normally be doing that, which means, forgive me, but the podcast will be releasing a couple days late this week. I have a really good excuse. Maybe you heard about this little thing on Sunday night called the Super Bowl. Uh, go Bucks. We won. What an awesome game. What an awesome day. And uh, yeah, I just didn't have it in me to record anything that night. I was just on cloud nine. I had a great night. And then I was just reading Twitter and reading as many articles as I could and just enjoying the night. Anyway, happy to have this podcast finally ready to go. Uh, It is the first Sunday in February, and if you know what February means, that means we are celebrating Black History Month, and I just kind of want to tell you a little bit about how we're going to be celebrating. Uh, Number one, we are going to be doing special music each week. This week, we actually played a song that was an original of Guiana's. It's called You Are Made of Magic, and it was awesome. It was a really cool moment. Uh, Also, each week, uh, we're going to be sharing some poetry uh, from a black author. Every Friday, we are going to be sharing a video uh, from a four-part series about having productive conversations about race in the church. And that's really cool. You can check out our Facebook page to see the one we shared last week. And then on Sundays, Gianna is going to share her favorite quote from the video, just kind of another way to engage in it. And also, each week, Hannah is going to be sharing... Um, a really cool, uh, important black person that she thinks you should know about. Uh, This past week, it was somebody in the science field. I don't know what she has scheduled for the rest of the month, but we are just really excited to be celebrating black history. And we would love for you to take part in that with us. Okay, I don't have a lot of announcements. Only thing I want to draw your attention to is if you go to diff.church, you can connect with us. I kind of redesigned the tabs um, this week. Now there's a section for new people, a section for prayer, and the most important one for now is the groups one. We would love it if you would click on groups and let us know what group you would be interested in joining. We're going to have one in Tampa, one in St. Pete, and a virtual one. And we would just kind of like to get an idea of who would like to be a part of those groups. So please go to diff.church and let us know uh, which group that you would be interested in. Okay, that is it. Let us go ahead and jump to Hannah's message. And uh, it's safe to say that she is very excited about the fact it's February.
1: It's February, do you know what that means? Other than there's an important episode of football going on today. (laughs) Yes, uh, people are very excited about this season finale of football. Uh, (laughs) It's it's February, which means it's Black History Month and I'm very excited. Diana's song was amazing, we'll have other special music and poetry for you the rest of this month, and I will have a special person that you should know about, or at least I think you should know about, and I'm the one with the microphone, so you get to know what I'm telling you um, each week. So this week, I want to introduce you to, if you don't know who this person is, this is Dr. Patricia Era Bath. Um, she was the first black woman doctor to patent a medical invention. She invented the laser probe for treatment of cataracts. I don't know what that means, but apparently it revolutionized treatment of cataracts. So if you get old and you get cataracts, it's thanks to her that you're going to be able to see, hopefully. Um, She also was the first black woman to complete an ophthalmology residency, as well as the first black woman to serve on staff as a surgeon at the UCLA Medical Center. And she founded the American Institute for the Prevention of Blindness. And then she also chaired the ophthalmology residency program at UCLA, and she was the first woman period of any color in the entire country to hold such a position so she actually passed away a few years ago um, but she was groundbreaking in her area and I think you should know who she is because she's fantastic now her profession ties into our message today very nicely I cannot promise that they will all tie in (laughs) Um, but you'll have to wait and see why because first we're going to read our scripture text for the day and I'm going to bring Isaac up here to read for you we are well you'll see You'll see what we're reading. Um, You can follow along on the screen. I will get out of the way. Isaac has been part of Different for a while. You probably know him if he gave you coffee or said hi to you on the way in. But if you don't know him, we love him. So you should love him too.
2: Good morning, Different Church. So I'll be reading from Revelations chapter three, verses 14 to 22. And this portion of the chapter is titled, The Message. Uh, to the church in Laodicea. This is Jesus talking to John, and he's saying, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretch and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you uh, to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches.
1: Great job. Thank you. Isn't that so much better than listening to me read? So much better. Okay, so obviously we're gonna talk about Revelation. Does Revelation make anybody nervous in here? What you guys are lying? You're lying. Everybody I talk to, they're like, Revelation. Hmm. Revelation is actually one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's like a three-way tie between Revelation and John and Ecclesiastes, which is possibly the most depressing book in the Bible. I don't know why it's my favorite, but I really like it. Sometime we'll do a series on it. Um, Revelation is mystical and magical, and Christians are simultaneously obsessed with it, especially if you grew up evangelical or Pentecostal, and also terrified of it. And if you've listened to all of our podcast episodes, shout out to the Diff Church Podcast, Hashtag Jared is cool and does the whole thing. (laughs) Uh, Then you may know what I'm going to talk about today. So I have a map to put on screen because I planned this sermon. So hopefully you will be able to see it. Our passage is a letter from Jesus to the church in Laodicea. So if you can see, hopefully, make this shorter. Laodicea is in the middle. You have Colossae, that would be letter to the Colossians, that is that town. Um, You have Philadelphia, you have Hierapolis, and then you have that other city. It was just on the map. I couldn't remove it. I stole that picture off the internet. (laughs) So this is the map. So Laodicea is in the middle. Philadelphia is way over there. Now, Philadelphia had been devastated. There had been a giant earthquake in AD 17, And they had accepted some help from the central funds in Rome. Rome basically had a bank of funds that they used to help out their cities whenever there was a natural disaster, et cetera, et cetera. Kind of like FEMA will come in and help after a natural disaster. The AD 17 earthquake did not harm Laodicea. But there was another earthquake. This is modern-day Turkey, so on some fault lines. There was another earthquake in AD 61, which did major damage to several cities in that whole area. And everybody was like, please give us your money, <laughs> we need help, our buildings have fallen down, we don't know what to do. And Laodicea said, we don't need your help. They were super rich. Now that would be like St. Pete, like a hurricane coming and wiping out half of St. Pete and St. Pete being like, we don't need federal money, we've got this, thank you. So they said now nah, we're good, which is very important to know, this is part of the local flavor of the letter. because." Laodicea was at the junction of trade routes in the, dist- in the district. So you can't really tell from the map, but Laodicea is in a valley, Colossae and Hierapolis are up on mountains. So they were very famous. They were in the middle of the trade routes. They had the banking center for the entire region. Everybody went to put their money there. Um, they had a special breed of black sheep that they had cultivated and bred. Like to make this beautiful wool, and they made these fine black wool garments that people, they were highly in demand and they were very expensive. So if you were anybody, you had a black wool garment from Laodicea. And they also had a very fine medical college, which specialized in ophthalmology. Mm -hmm. So now you know where it ties in. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing they did not have was water, which is a problem if you're a city, right? So the river Lycus, which runs right down the middle, not very strong at that point, it actually dried up in the summer, so then the entire town would have no water. Now there are two other sources of water. One of them is Hierapolis and one of them is Colossae. So on a huge dramatic cliff is Hierapolis. It has a set of hot springs that are still there to this day and you can go there and it draws tourists from all over the world and there's these hot springs that have all these minerals and it's supposed to be like super healthy for you and you just soak and your whole life gets better if you read the tourist brochure. And you can even see on the cliff it's like sparkly white mineral deposits from where the water spills over. So in the first century they built these aqueducts to bring the water to Laodicea, which was five miles away. And they're still there. You can go visit them, the insides are covered, in mineral deposits. The problem is, by the time the water arrived in Laodicea, five miles away, it was no longer hot. It was just lukewarm. Now, I guess a lukewarm bath is better than a cold bath, but not great. And what's worse, there's chemicals in the water, minerals, so you can't drink it. It's completely unsuitable for ingestion, unless you want to make yourself physically sick, which I'm sure those people did not want to do that. So. We have this hot water that ends up being lukewarm by the time it gets there. You're supposed to have this wonderful, refreshing bath. No. You just get a lukewarm, tepid. Don't drink it. But also, there was another source of water from Colasse. It had been knocked down in the earthquake and had not yet been rebuilt. But it had a wonderful supply of water from the like, snow-capped mountain just flowing down. that had this crisp, cool spring water that you would pay a lot of money for if it was bottled and sold today. And so they built aqueducts to bring the water from Colase to Laodicea, which was about 11 miles away. But the problem is, by the time it got there, this is modern-day Turkey, especially in the summer when there was no water, it was not cold anymore. It was lukewarm at best. It was probably hot. So, I think it's interesting that this most remarkable feature of Revelation, like this is one of the most well-known verses in Revelation, where Jesus is saying, you're not cold, and you're not hot, you're lukewarm, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You disgust me. Make me want to vomit. And vomit's not too strong of a word here in the Greek. Jesus is so disgusted at the taste of Laodicean Christianity that he wants to vomit them out of his mouth. Now... I have heard many sermons on Revelation, and usually this passage is used to condemn like so-called lukewarm Christians. Like, if you're not on fire for Jesus, then Jesus will spew you out of his mouth. Um, okay, like I guess. I've heard some interpretations of, like, if you're hot, that means you are really in it for Jesus. And if you're cold, you're really against God. And you have to pick one. You have to be for or against Jesus, and God wants you to be one or the other, or he will just spit you out of his mouth. but if you understand where the water supply comes from, then you can understand that's really not the point. That is not the interpretation of this passage. It's not as though you're either for God or against God, and God's just confused about where you are, and you're vacillating, you're just floating between one option, and God's like, well, you pick a side, geez. No, that's not the point at all. The point is, it's, Jesus is talking to people of faith. Your intended pers- purpose as a person of faith is to show that with your life. It should be evident in your life. And Jesus is saying, I wish you were cold, like the cold water, suitable for drinking, suitable for quenching thirst, but you're not. Or I wish you were hot, suitable for bathing, suitable for wellness and health, and but you're not. You're neither of these things. You're just lukewarm and you make me sick. You're not fulfilling your intended purpose and you've become practically useless. Which actually, I think that that's harsher than being like, I wish you'd pick a side and be like, you say you're a person of faith, but you are not fulfilling your intended purpose, and you're useless now. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. Now, this is local flavor, and Revelation has a lot of local flavor, so it continues when Jesus says to the Laodiceans, you say, I'm rich. I've done well. I don't need anything, because the town is very smug and self-satisfied and rich and fancy, and they refuse government help, and apparently this is all rubbed off on the Christians as well. But Jesus gives them no doubt. He's like, you say that you're rich and you're well and you're fed and healthy and everything is peachy keen. But in fact, and Jesus pulls no punches here, he says, you're miserable and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. That's not very nice. They need the sort of gold that only Jesus can give, not the gold from their banking endeavors. Physical money cannot buy them a place in a kingdom of God. They need the, the kind of fine clothes that you would wear after being baptized, new fresh robes worn by converts signaling their commitment to a new life, not the fancy wool clothing that was so popular and so expensive. Expensive clothing and status cannot guarantee you a place in the family of God. They need a new kind of eye treatment others than the one that was offered at the local college where everybody came to get their eyes worked on so that they could see they need the kind of eye treatment that Jesus can give them because access to the best medicine in the world cannot prevent them from deluding themselves and being blind to their own uselessness in not fulfilling their intended purpose. And that's harsh. Like, that's a... Some of the letters are pretty mean. The letter to Laodicea in Revelation is probably the meanest. Jesus is pretty stern with them. Um, But then he says, in effect, in verses 15 through 18, well, now you know how I treat my friends. (laughs) Which, strange, but if you think about it, it's because these Laodicean Christians are still, despite everything, on Jesus' list of friends that he's being so honest with them. That he's telling them truthfully where they have gone wrong. If Jesus didn't care, he wouldn't tell them. He'd be like, whatever, I don't don't need you. See you later. But because God is faithful when we are not faithful, he's sitting there and he's saying, I'm telling you, you have to change something. And the letter to Laodicea has the best description of Jesus, perhaps the most striking out of all the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. And the one church that was in the most trouble draws the best promise from God. So Jesus describes himself in verse 14, as Isaac read, as the amen. The one who stays true to his word, the faithful and true witness, and the beginning of God's creation. So Jesus is the one through whom God's world came to be, and also the one through whom, in the resurrection, a new world has been launched. Which kind of puts their lukewarmness into more embarrassing perspective. Like, here's Jesus, the Lord of the universe, and here you are, <laughs> thinking you're all that, but in fact, you're poor and blind and miserable and pitiful and naked. And verse 20 is probably the second most famous verse in Revelation. <laughs> um, it is, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Have you always heard this verse before? Yes. Most sermons on this verse, just, you know, they just encourage you I've heard it this way, just, you just gotta open the door to your heart. You just gotta let Jesus in. Jesus is knocking, he's a gentleman. He's not gonna force his way into your house. Okay, you just gotta let Jesus in. No, <laughs> I mean, that's fine, I guess. But that is not at all what the passage is about. So the echoes of the stories throughout the Bible tell us the person knocking on the door is actually the owner of the house. He's returning at an unexpected hour. The person letting him in is the person who was supposed to stay awake just in case someone came back, just in case he comes home. It's Jesus' house in the first place. It's not as though it's your house, and God's like, won't you please let me in? (laughs) Please, I will come in and have a meal with you. It will be delightful. And we're like, no, I don't have time for Jesus right now. I mean, that's an okay interpretation, but that's not what Jesus is saying to the Laodicean Christians. What Jesus is saying here is, you're... This is my house. Don't fall asleep on the job. You had better be there to open the door when I come home. It could be any time. And I don't mean this in an end times sense. I don't mean Jesus is like, I'm gonna come back in the twinkling of an eye and snatch you all away and everything will be terrible. We're not going down a left behind alley here. (laughs) Jesus is saying, I, this metaphor of this my house, I'm coming home, of course the house is locked. Because I'm not there. I've been away on my travels, but you're supposed to be keeping watch and waiting for me to come home and open the door. You don't get to say no. (laughs) You don't get to be like, it's not your house anymore. It's mine. You left. Finders, keepers, squatters, rights. It's my house. No, that's not how it goes at all. It's Jesus's house in the first place. The house is all locked up because the owner is away. The servant is supposed to stay awake knowing at some point, at any point, the owner could come home. poor servant. If the owner comes home and he's not there to open the door, that would not go very well. But the promise continues. And you guys can come back up. I'm almost done. Um, Jesus says, I will come in and eat with you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me, open the door, let me in. And then I will come and eat with you. When you think about this, like a good servant would stay diligently awake. They would just be waiting. Yes, I'm here. I'm going to let him in the minute he comes home, take care of his horse or whatever. And maybe he would even have a pot of something simmering on the stove because he's probably going to be hungry after all his travels. The owner of the house has come home. But definitely the owner of the house was not going to eat with the servant. That's unheard of. It's his job to open the door and take care of the animals and clean and cook something, he doesn't get to eat with the owner. But Jesus says, if you are there and you let me in, promptly, I will sit down and I will eat with you as friends. Which is a complete 180 on the caste system in Rome, in the Roman culture, like the serv- it would never have even crossed the servant's mind that he would eat at the same table as the master of the house so far beyond his comprehension. And yet, this is what Jesus says. Welcome me home and I will share a meal with you as a friend. Not as me, the Lord of the universe, and you, you peasant. No, as friends together, an intimate meal in the middle of the night with conversation. And those who share this meal with Jesus and are therefore strengthened, they will become able to conquer as Jesus conquered, not through violence like Rome, not through intimidation like Rome, not through all the gold and all the fancy clothing and all the access and all the privilege that they had as Laodiceans, not not through any of that. They get to conquer the way Jesus conquered, which he became through the power of his sacrificial love. Which is the whole point of the Book of Revelation. The Book of Revelation is not a think how I want to say this, <laughs> phrase this carefully. The Book of Revelation is not a prescriptive letter on how the end of the world is going to work. The Book of Revelation is a letter, an allegorical, apocalyptic letter written to people who may become martyrs. All the letters to the seven churches are very specific, and they say very specific things to each church. And then the whole book of Revelation says something to every person who follows Jesus, which a couple thousand people maybe. In Rome, maybe there was like a 100 Christians tops at the time that this was written. It's to a small group of people who are being extensively persecuted. Rome and the Jewish population is doing everything they can to squash it to make this go away, to make the Jesus movement stop completely. And the book of Revelation says, just hang on. In fact, it has a really a winning message. It's gonna get worse, just hang on. Don't be upset that it's gonna get worse because you're sharing in the suffering that Jesus had, which is that he willingly sacrificed his life so that you could live. So don't think that death is the end because it's not. This is not the ultimate reality. God has the ultimate reality. And death, once you pass through death, as Jesus passed through death, you will come out on the other side. This is not the end for you. So as crazy as Revelation is, with famines and wars, and at one point, giant locusts the size of humans eating everyone, it's like something out of a horror movie. Many things like that in Revelation, as crazy as it sounds, it's actually a letter of encouragement to say it's gonna get worse but hang on, it's gonna get worse but it's gonna get better after it's gonna get worse because I am faithful to you and if you just pay attention, if you just let me in, welcome me back home where I belong and we will be friends, we'll get through this together and then you'll be welcomed into the most ultimate reality. And it says they'll share Jesus' throne, which is pretty crazy, I think. Like even if, let's say we had a king in America, even if we had a king or a queen, and that person deigned to eat with us for a meal, do you think that that person would then be like, and would you like to help me make all the decisions? Please come help me rule the universe. Of course not. But that's the promise Jesus gives them. You will share, not only will we be friends, you will share in the glorious new creation. You will share in running a world that is not broken. You will share in making a world that is not broken. And I think that's pretty fabulous. And in just a few verses, that's why I think that Revelation kicks butt. (laughs) Which is probably not how I should end a sermon, but that's how I'm ending the sermon. Revelation kicks butt, you should read it, but don't read fan fiction about it. And if you have questions, I can have some resources that you can read or listen to. Someday we'll finish our Revelation podcast or maybe we'll have a Revelation small group and everyone who is a recovering evangelical can say amen and let's read this together (laughs) and then we can talk about it.